You are listening to the Piedmont Church Podcast. To learn more about Piedmont Church, including our gathering times in Macon, you can visit us online at piedmontchurch.net. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there to that passage with me, Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, we are going to begin in that verse 31 here in just a moment. So I, I don't know if you felt it or experienced it personally in the last several weeks, maybe even months, but I, I really feel like God is, is up to something in our nation and certainly even around the world. And so as we enter into this new series uh, called Fresh air. I want us to, to really keep in mind where we are in life, because I think there are, are some of us that walk in this place and we are gasping for air. Like we have come to this place where we're moving a hundred miles an hour and we are struggling to catch up in life. And I want you to know that there is fresh air in the gospel. There is fresh air. There is rest and renewal and refreshment in Jesus. And over the next couple weeks, we're going to unpack that. Let me ask you this. What do you think the scariest place on earth is? You don't have to say it out loud, but just think about it. What is one of the scariest places on earth? Let me me give you one example. A church building at like 1 o'clock in the morning. For those of you who are interested in what we talk about, for those of you who raised in the church, how many of you went to youth group? Raise your hand if you were in a youth group. Okay. Now keep up. No, 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 no. Keep your hands raised. Great. Now raise your other hand if you ever went to a lock-in in youth group. Yes. So you should know what I'm talking about. Y'all looked at me like I was crazy when I said a church building at 1 o'clock in the morning. If you've ever been in a church building at 1 a.m., it is the creepiest place in the world. Like, and if you're sitting there still looking at me like you're crazy, then you just, you are fearless. You are, I mean, like... Jesus literally walks with you every step. Uh, because even now, if I'll, I'll come into this building sometimes late at night because I have forgotten something or whatever, and I walk in here, I'm like, this is the, I, I never want to die here. I don't die anywhere else, but I don't want to die here because this is creepy. I, I was remembering a couple weeks ago this, this lock-in that I went to, and at every youth group lock-in, they inevitably play some version of hide-and-seek. You might call it sardines, you might call it, I, I don't even know, like... There's some version of hide-and-seek during this lock-in in youth group. And you go hide, and I grew up in a lot of churches that had basements, that old kind of church basement. And you would find yourself in this old building, and you would find yourself in this basement. And every old church basement smells the exact same, right? Like, you could blindfold me, take me to an old church basement, leave the blindfold on and say, Chris, where are you? And I'll go... I'm in an old church basement. It doesn't matter which one it is. It could be in California or it could be in the deep south of Georgia because they all smell like stale, kind of mildewish air. You know what I'm talking about? Nod your head if you've got me. If you don't, you'll catch up. It's okay. And here's the thing. I, I think, to a degree, Christians and the church have let that air get on us. And we've taken it with us. Instead of being the people of God and, and having a fresh air about us, a, a, this, this, this kind of uh, spirit that breathes on other people and breathes life and rejuvenation and joy and peace and comfort, we take this old church basement, stale, 
broken, kind of jaded smell to a lot of people in the world. And then we sit back and wonder, why don't you love our Jesus? Because their experience with our Jesus is through you. And it's through me. And we take this old, stale, jaded, hurt, broken picture of a gracious and loving God. And they go, I love your Jesus, but I don't love your Christian. And we get to this place in Luke, and what I think Jesus is going to do through his word and through our time together is he's going to breathe fresh air into you. I know he's been breathing fresh air into me, because look, we should be able to admit this. There are ebbs and flows in the Christian walk, right? There are seasons when, man, you are just walking with Jesus, and you are step in step with him. And there are other seasons you're going, is he even here? I feel so alone. And you may even say, I don't even want you here, right? Like, I'm so hurt. I'm so broken. How did you let this happen? I don't even want you in this moment. And what I think the Spirit, through Luke in this moment, is going to do is he's going to cause us to lean in. And get this fresh air of Jesus. And my hope and my prayer for each and every one of you is that when you walk through those doors in a little over you know, 30, 45 minutes, you'll take a fresh air with you and not an old stale basement air. Can we do that, church? Can we lean in for a few minutes? Let me pray for us. God, help me to become less so that you'll become more. That your word penetrate our hearts, that your spirit will fill this place. So if there's anyone with bondage or chains that are weighing them down, God, I pray that this morning they'll lay them down at the foot of the cross. That we'll get a clear picture of the glory and the grandeur of who you are. Guide us, move us, shape us to love you, love others, and invest in your kingdom. God's people said. So over the next few weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to lean in. We're going to look at some of the earliest moments of Jesus' ministry in hopes to, to gain insight and see firsthand how the gospel renews and revives. That's, that's what we're going to do over the next coming weeks. We're going to look firsthand at Jesus' early ministry. And uh, the voice of Megan Kenny, man, wasn't that just, y'all give it up for that voice. Man. I can just let, I need him on a recording so that I can just like listen to him read scripture to me in the morning, you know. If you version my Bible app, now I just need Kenny B, the voice of Megan. But I, I think there's also something really great about the gospel. It's not just that it renews and revives, it takes us from death to life. It breathes, it takes us from this place of stale air to fresh air. And so I, I want to walk through this passage as quick as we can this morning. So there's really three instances that are that are happening in these in these verses. There's really three things that kind of show us uh, one truth. And, and the first one is this: that Jesus has authority over the spiritual realm. So if you're taking notes this morning, Jesus has authority over the spiritual realm. So when we, we, we dive into verse 31, and Jesus comes to Capernaum and Galilee, and he, he's teaching them. On the Sabbath, meaning that's Saturday. He, he, he's kind of gathering for what they would consider at the time to be church. And it says they were astonished at his teaching. Now, I want, I want you to keep, keep in mind what's happening. They've heard teaching for years, right? That they've heard priests, rabbis get up and 
proclaim the word of God. They've read from the scrolls. So this would not be the first time that they've heard maybe even an emphatic, a really good communicator. And, and what Luke is trying to get us to see in spite of the Spirit is not that Jesus was this really eloquent preacher. There's something different. Think about this. Before, the rabbis would be saying someone else's words, right? They're just declaring the words of God. And now, God is declaring His words. Imagine the difference that the hearer would experience. It's one thing for me to get up here and preach, and I can preach the best message that I've ever had, and you go walk away, and you might have some chills, and there'd be a good moment. It'd be a completely different thing for Jesus to stand on this platform and bring his word to us, wouldn't it, church? And this is that moment. They're going, wow, there's something unique about what Jesus is doing here. And in that same moment, says there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice. What are you doing to us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know you are the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebukes him. And he calls him out. Not only does he display authority in his teaching, but he then displays authority over the demonic, over the broken. And in this moment, Jesus is putting on full display for everyone in synagogue. This is who I am. You've heard my authority, and now you see my authority. And this is a glorious picture because this is exactly what Luke is going to show us in these three things. That you always need this and that. That's the title of my sermon is this and that. Jesus pairs this and that. And I'll tell you what that is at the end. This and that. Jesus preaches the word and then demonstrates the word. The second thing, Jesus cared for the hurting and the sick. So that first portion of scripture, Jesus goes in the synagogue, he teaches, he, he exercises a demon from someone. And then we move to a different scene. He goes to a friend's house, Simon Peter. For those of you who have, have watched The Chosen, you've actually sort of seen a version of this. Through actors and directors and other things, you kind of might have a, a, a mental picture. Jesus shows up in this house. And the mother is very sick. Mother-in-law of Peter, I should say. And she is very sick. And they're going, Jesus, we, we, we need your help. We, we need you to do something. And you almost kind of get this feeling from Jesus of like, it's not quite the situation when Mary walks up to him at the, the wedding of Canaan. It's like, hey, they're out of wine. Help me out. But it's similar. It's definitely this kind of, do I, should I, do I need to do this right now? But he doesn't. He stood over her and rebuked the fever in verse 39. It says, it left her immediately and she rose and began to serve him because that was the custom of the dead. So there's no lingering illness. There's, there's nothing getting in the way. Jesus cares for the hurting and the sick. And you can kind of get a sense of what kind of housing situation this is. So think about your house. If Jesus came to your house and he healed your, someone in your family, your neighbors probably wouldn't know, would they? I mean, some of you are going, oh, my neighbor lives like on top of my house. So they would. But for most of us, we, we've kind of transitioned to this society where we live in a, a castle and moat type house. Meaning you go to work. And when you come home from work, you go into your humble abode and you go, world, leave me alone. 
right? Uber driver, uh, DoorDash, you can leave the food on the doorstep. I don't even want to talk to you. Like, leave me alone. You don't exist because I'm now in my castle. But this is a very different housing situation. If you, if you watch The Chosen, you probably saw that the depiction that they get there is probably pretty accurate. It would have felt like a city. Their house would have been next to other houses and they would have been a market right down the road. And so there would have been no secrets. And so in this moment, the healing of this woman is very public. And likely, you can see like a you know, grandkid or, or somebody running around the block going, She's healed! Look at this! We're getting some bread for dinner! Like it's, it's not just like this secret moment. It's a very public thing. And what happens next? He's going, Jesus is like, no good deed goes unpunished, right? He does something good. He doesn't actually say that, by the way. I don't leave here saying that I said that. <laughs> but he heals one person. And what happens? More come. It says now, uh, when the sun was setting, in verse 40, all those who had any, all who had any, that's a lot of people, with very diseases were brought to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them. I, I, I say on a Wednesday night Bible study, quite often that every word matters until my wife rebukes me because then I said, hey, this word right here, don't look at this one as much. <laughs> but every word in scripture matters. So everyone heard about it. They all brought him. And what does Jesus do? He laid his hands on all. I want you to think about your life, your schedules, the things that you've just got to do. I got to get this done. I got to get that done. Jesus has got a list. Like, his time is going to run out, but he knows. This is the beginning of his ministry, and so it's like he lived his first 30 years, but all of a sudden the clock started going backwards. You know, there's, there's a point in life, right? You, you get to that point where all you have is your life ahead of you, and there comes a certain point in time where now you're seeing your life kind of count down. Well, Jesus is still a fairly young man. He's 30, but his counter has started because he knows. And so he's going, man, I got all kinds of things to do. You're going to see later in the passage, he's going to go, man, I got to go preach the word. That's what I've come here to do. But yet when all of these sick come, all of these people who need a touch from Jesus come, what does he say? Does he say, I'm really busy today. Can we, can we schedule that for like a week from today at 8, 10, and then I'm going to book myself up this past Friday? I had a full day. I woke up at 4.50. And I didn't have a free moment until about 3.30 that afternoon. And so I had a couple call me, hey, hey, I think King was, King was like, hey, let's get coffee. I was like, no, bro, I'm going to blow you off five times in a row this week. Love you, King. You think Jesus does that? No. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus goes, no, I've got time right now. Everything else can stop. This is a ministry moment for us. You and I are too busy to do ministry. You do it. I do it. We book our lives out in such a way where we don't leave any gaps to do ministry. But then we go, God, use me. Use me. He's like, man, I, I gave you like four opportunities and you were too busy. You drove by one of them. You walked over this person. This person was trying to have a conversation with you and your phone rang and so you just... I slipped away. <clears throat> I see right here in the moment, Jesus is going, 
I came here to preach the kingdom, but I'm going to hit the immediate need before I hit the eternal need. And how often do you and I forget that? We, we, we think about, we're going we're to talk about these fish on your seat here in a minute. That, that's an eternal need we're addressing. We're praying for it. We're, we're hoping and, and, and believing that God's going to take people from death to life through our prayers and through the, the proclamation of his word. We're believing. We're praying for eternal. How often are we looking to address the immediate? You look at history. The church was the primary mover of helping the poor, the needy, and the sick. Go do your church history. Go do, go do a historical study. When people got sick, they didn't just go to the government hospital. The church had some people. And what do we do today? I'm, I'm just as guilty as you. So this isn't me preaching at you. This is God laying this message on us. We go, well, we can kind of pull, pull the Ebenezer Scrooge card out, right? Isn't there, you know, something else for them? Can the government do something? Can, can't this thing happen? Can, can't they get support this way? If you're hungry in our town, it's your fault. Because we've got enough government support for you everywhere. If you've been around Macon in any length, you've probably heard that. You may have said that. But here's a, a great picture of Jesus going why don't we do it? Why don't we step up? It's, it's interesting to me that the, the Christian world, our culture, we're some of the first ones to not necessarily... Now, there's a, there's a segment of us that are nice and, and a good crazy. You know? They want to get their lives messy, and they'll go out and they'll serve with the broken and the hurting. If you ever read a book called Radical by David Platt, David Platt, he talks about these people who are going to do missions overseas, specifically in Africa. I don't know what country. And they warned this team, like, hey, you're going to go do ministry here. You're, you're part of a nurse and doctor team. And when you get overseas, things are going to be crazy. And there is a chance that a needle is going to hit you at some point. And I just want to let you know, when that needle hits you, there's a high probability that you're going to contract HIV from that needle. And this group of missionaries prays about it. And they're like, yeah, I don't Okay, we're going. They get there, and sure enough, it happens. And you know what they said? It was worth it. Because we got to take the gospel. That's a good message. That's a great message. I, I wish I could have that sort of heart. I hear that, and they go, am, am I that kind of message? Can somebody bring their mess into my world, and I still be about the gospel, and I still be about loving them and loving others? But what we tend to do in the church is we say, that's a little too messy. Let's, let's let somebody else handle it. So the government steps up and handles it. But that's pretty interesting because majority of Bible-believing evangelical Protestant Christians would say we want what? A small government. But then we put more jobs in the government's place. Now, I'm not trying to do politics this morning, but... You've got to see that the correlation here, Jesus is saying, Christians, step up. Do something. It's not like I didn't model it for you. Do something. Love the immediate need, not just the eternal need. Jesus points us to this place that we are supposed to love 
and care for the hurting and the sick. Sissy heals all of them. He casts out more demons. He tells them to remain quiet because he doesn't want his ministry to be extremely public yet. And then we get to verse 42. The third point in, in kind of these things that add up to lead us to one truth is that Jesus' primary mission was to point people to the kingdom of God. I want to read these couple of verses again. Verse 42. It says, And when it was day, imagine the day he had before, right? It was busy. He's healing, he's touching everyone. He departed and then went to a desolate place. And the people sought after him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving because there's just more to be done. There's always more to be done. Verse 43. But he says to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. For I was sent for this purpose. What we need to know is that the balance of this and that is that we need to love others and love God. That's the this and that. Jesus models this for us right here. And he says, I must preach. This is why I was sent. In all three situations, what Jesus, through the writer of, the writer of Luke, is showing us is that loving God and loving people, they go hand in hand. And you really can't have one without the other. Think about that. If you love God, a full heart, a true love, and he's pouring into you, have good theology where you understand who he is and what he has done. You know that you are a sinner, fallen, and you don't deserve anything, but yet through the grace of Jesus, he came and lived a perfect life and died for you on the cross. Then you have a right view that there is nothing you deserve besides hell. I went to a conference earlier this week, and the pastor was talking about how sometimes in ministry, we get to this place where we start talking about how we deserve something, right? You've been pastor for 25 years, you've got your PhD, your doctor so-and-so, your church has got this many people, and you're this, that, and the other, and this can be for your life as well. Don't just think pastors are guilty of this. But we get to this point where we go, you know, I, I deserve a little more time off. I deserve a little more money. I deserve... This. I deserve this, this thing here. And I deserve that. And the pastor looks at the room of us and he goes, you know what you deserve? You deserve hell. That's it. That's not like the best warming message, is it? That's not something like when you're like in your pity party and you're like, I really do deserve this. And I'm like, you really deserve hell. Man, come on. Can't you like give me a little cheerio and, you know, Put them away? No. If we love God, the full picture of what we actually deserve, that should spur us to then go love people. Now, you might say, well, you can love people without God, and I would say you can't. Because there will come a point. You can go out and you can do good things for people. I do believe that, absolutely. Outside of God, there are good things you can do. But you can never do the great thing. Notice when Jesus 
meets the immediate need. He always points them to the eternity. He always points them to the eternity. He gives them good, but then he moves them to greater. And so for us to love people fully, we have to love God. And if for no other reason, maybe you don't get this, people are difficult. Did you know that? People are hard-headed. Bible calls us sheep. Yeah, right? Bible calls us sheep. Sheep are, are, are not that intelligent. Right? But they, they, they really need a shepherd at all times. And here is what God does for us. He says, I will always be your shepherd. I will always be in this moment. And we always need these two things. This is what Jesus is modeling for us in his service and in his words. Is that we need to love people and we need to love God. And without one of these two things, we will perish. I would argue if you don't love God, excuse me, yeah, I'm missing the words. I would argue that you can have a full love for people as, as full as you can, but without God, you'll never, ever go to heaven. You'll never see the fullness of life. You'll never see abundance. You'll never see peace and wholeness and comfort. And if you say you love God, but you don't love people, I would argue that you don't have a true vision and a love for God because you can't have one without the other. You need this and you need that. Think about our atmosphere. I don't know if you know this, but our atmosphere is made up of really two things that we breathe in. Oxygen and nitrogen. Now, we need these two things in our world. We need them. You say, well, what about the guy out of the oxygen tank? He can, you can live without, with oxygen. You can. You don't need nitrogen. How do you get oxygen? Plants, trees, and shrubs. You know how plants, trees, shrubs live? Nitrogen. Without nitrogen, there is no oxygen. Now, if all you ever get is nitrogen and you don't ever get oxygen, you're going to die. It's going to happen. So without the this and the that of nitrogen and oxygen, you can't live. Without the love of God and the love of people, we can't live. We have to have this and that. We have to have this balance in our lives. And when Jesus comes, he comes to reveal to us that first and foremost, we need him. You're separated from him. You are dead in your trespasses. And there is no way out of it that you can ever do. There's nothing you could do to take yourself from death to life. But Jesus comes with a perfect life, defeats death on the third day, raises from the dead and says, if you trust in me, I will give you eternal life. And I will give you the love of God. And we have that love. He says, the two greatest commandments are you to love me and then love others. And he models this for us over and over and over again throughout the gospel. So Chris, what does this have to do with fresh air? You're asking. You're going, what, what does this have to do with us getting fresh air? 
I was being mentored one time. And they asked me the question of like, when you got somebody near you who's a Christ follower who's struggling, what do you do to help them get to this place of breathing again, of walking with the Lord? And I kind of stumbled and I threw out several things and they said, all those things are fine. But if they're really in Christ, there's really one thing that you can do and this will bring them back to this place. You get them to express their love of Christ to others. You get them around lost people. Because if they have a clear understanding and a, and a 2020 vision of really who they are in their despair, in their soul, that they are broken, but Jesus came and he died to give them life. Then, when they get to that place, they will be renewed and they will be revived. That is how we, as the church, as the people of God, get to this place going, I'm struggling, I can't walk straight, I'm not. I've got my life too bogged down. I've got all these other things going on. I cannot breathe right now. And I say, renew your passion for the lost by understanding who you are. Because you were once lost, but now you were found. And when we can come to that place as a church, you know what? Everything I do, every step I take, every word I say, every move I make will be for the proclamation of the goodness of God. There will be vibrance, there will be renewal, there will be refreshment, there will be revival in our hearts. Maybe you're sitting in the room this morning, I don't know about this whole Jesus stuff. I, I came to church this morning because whatever. Maybe, maybe, maybe you don't even say that out loud. Maybe you're kind of a, a closet agnostic or closet atheist and you just kind of function in the southern world of Bible Belt and yeah I go to church but you know and you're going pastor you know you're talking about this fresh air and I see what Jesus did what's it do for me now what's it do for me now and I will push you back to this text to say that Jesus didn't just come for your eternal need. He came for your immediate So maybe, maybe it's a broken relationship in your life. Maybe it's physical healing. Maybe there's mental things going on, emotional, whatever it is. I firmly, without a doubt, believe that Jesus can heal you, heal your relationships, heal whatever's broken in your life. But you've got to come to the foot of the cross. You gotta lay it down. You gotta say, I trust in you. I believe in you. I take off my yoke, which is heavy and burdensome, and it's weighing me down, and I put on yours, which is light and easy. And I will follow you to the ends of the earth without the part of the statement we like to say, God, if you will, then I will. Jesus says, just say it, just, just, just come. Just come. My word is good. My word is faithful. I'm going to say yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and I will hold up my end of the covenant. Will you come? 
came in and had a fish on your sheet. There's some pins in the back. We'll have some ushers pass out some pins here in just a moment. It, it, it is my burden and my prayer that over the next several weeks, we're going to see people come to faith in Christ. They were once dead and lost, and maybe, maybe, maybe they were the folks that were scoffing at all things religion. And they were, nah, there's, there's just this whole Jesus thing, nah, it's just another fake thing. It's just, it's just something else that's not real. I'm praying for that person to come to faith in Christ. I'm praying for the person at your job who kind of just moves through life, who maybe even walk down an aisle at one point in their life. They're not connected. They're not, they're not actually walking with God. And yeah, they said a prayer, but it wasn't really a relationship beginning prayer. It was just kind of a moment. They got wrapped up in the emotionalism of BBS or camp or church on Sunday morning with grandma, whatever it was. And they're not walking with Jesus. I'm praying for that coworker. I'm praying for you. Maybe you're in this room and you're going, I've gone to church my whole life. I know the book, but I don't have a relationship. These fish, we write down one person's name on there, and we, we, we know or we believe that they don't have a relationship with the Lord. And we've been putting them in a bucket, and we put this bucket, take it back out to the lobby, and we hang it on the fish net. And during the week, our staff prays for it. Every, every week, every day I walk in, and I see it, I pray for those people. And our challenge is that you'll be praying for, we'll pray for it congregationally over the people. <clears throat> but then you'll take, you'll make a memory note of the person in your head. Joe, Jim, Sally, whatever their name is. And, and every day during the week, you'll be praying. Not just for them, but you'll also be praying for an opportunity to do exactly what Jesus did. Point them to their eternal need. Maybe they have an immediate need. Maybe you need to reach out to us and go, hey, uh, we know these people, they're struggling like this. Is there an immediate need we can fix? And we can point them to their eternal need. Pick up the phone. Send an email. Do it. I can't promise you we'll have all the answers to it. I can promise you we can try. This is how you breathe fresh air into your walk. By praying and have a heart for the lost. Because when we have a heart for the lost, we remember we know who we were before Christ. He took us from death to life. So in a minute, during the altar call moment, if you got something to pray for, I encourage you to write it down, put it in the cooler down here. I also want to encourage you that if you're here and you're one of those people that's been second-guessing and doubting this whole faith thing, I'd love to talk with you about what it means to walk with Jesus, give your life to Him, become a, a Christian. It's really easy. You just recognize that you're a sinner. Sin is what separates us from God. It, it, it's missing the mark. It's a, an easy translation of that word. God set this mark of holiness and righteousness, and that's how we, we were created. But then we fell because we were selfish and prideful. We did something He told us not to. And when we fell, we inherited death and destruction in our entire life and in our entire world. But the story wasn't over. Jesus came, lived a perfect life, and he fulfilled the ultimate promise of being able to restore us to life with the Father. And all you have to do is repent, turn from, recognize your sinner, turn from it, and put your faith in Jesus. He said, you 
you will have eternal life. You'll have abundant life. You'll have shalom. You'll have peace and wholeness. So during this next moment, you can come down here and pray. You can pull one of my our leaders aside. I'm going to ask the elders, even if there's a former elder in here, to come down front with me on the altar. And we're just going to sit and pray. We're not going to sing a song quite yet. I just want us to have a moment where we just go at the foot of the cross and we say, God, I need fresh air. My life feels like that old, stale basement, but I need your freshness. I need to, to see how you love me so that I can love others. So this is our time. I'm going to pray for us. And when I do, those elders and former elders, I'll call you to come down front. We're going to sit down front. If you've got a pen, ushers, you can pass those out and fill out those fish. This is our time to pray as a church. To meet as a church, to gather together as a people. God, let me pray. Lord, I pray that you'll convict our hearts. You'll move us to this place of recognizing the staleness in our life. Of recognizing the brokenness in our world. God, if we don't have a relationship with you this morning, I pray that through the power of your spirit, you'll show us, you'll reveal to us our need for a savior. And you'll draw us near. And we have baptism Sunday next weekend. This is an amazing opportunity for the people in this room. Maybe, maybe they never followed up with believer's baptism. Maybe they're on the edge of their seat right now thinking about giving their life to you. And they're going, what's the next step? The next step is believer's baptism. So God, I pray that you'll bring them, you'll draw them from their seats. Come speak with one of us. Let us pray over them. Get them plugged in. Get a seat at the table. For those in this room that are the church that recognize and follow Jesus, I pray that you'll break our heart for it breaks yours. You'll help us to see the lost around us, but to not look down upon, but to just see them as you see us. And as you saw us, that's just another son and daughter that needs to be told the goodness of God and be adopted and be grafted into the family as your word says. Help us have a burden to take the word to them, but not just to do it for the eternal, but also to meet immediate needs around us. Help us to love you and love others. It's in your son's name I pray.